I throw a dinner party. Come seamsters, prophets, fishwives, men, millers and their moth familiars, many-handed avatars of the aunts I never call, and my mother in the chipped cup, my mother in my first gray hair. I'll be the one in the green caftan, dragging on my prop pipe and coughing luxuriously. I'll be the one courting neutered nouns like suppository, suppository, whole walls of them twinkling like torch stars. Brulee me, I'll say. Tell me what you really think of my dog, my lawn, my terracotta owls. Say it just so. You'll know me when you see me. I'll be the one to open the door. Come in, I'll say. I've got a cheese plate. I've got every slice of quince from here to Nome. And God in the microtome. And God in the space between shoulders if I breathe just so. That was Indrani Sengupta from our July-August issue. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Scanlon, and this is the American Poetry Review Podcast. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Stephen. Hello. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Hannah. <laughs> Hi. I feel like uh, we're, we've become kind of a traveling circus because we have been recording these podcasts in various rooms over the last year, and we are in yet another new room today. But as Stephen likes to say, that's good podcasting, talking about something that no one can see. Yeah. Um, Pod talk. Right. <laughs> um, but it is actually kind of exciting because we are now in our own home base. We are setting up a podcasting studio at the home of the American Poetry Review, the Philadelphia Ethical Society. Um, So yes, welcome. Welcome, in theory, to our new home, Um, which might be a little bit... Echoey. Echoey. Might be a little bit echoey. You can sense in the soundscape that this is a brand new space because we we are just a few people in a room beginning again. Um, but you know, that can be a good thing. Always be beginning. (laughs) ABB. Um, other than that, how are things? How are you guys? You know, hot. Yeah. Hot. It's August. What did, what did you, I think you, you called August the, the long Sunday to me the other day on the phone. Uh I never heard that. I feel like that's like when you hear something that other people say all the time. One time I, I said to a friend uh, the, the phrase, throw them under the bus. Uh-huh. And they thought I was the cleverest person in the world. They had never like, heard that before. They didn't grow up in my house. That's so interesting because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of throwing under the bus. Um, yeah, because that seems like such a uh, a, a prevalent idiom to yeah. me, right? Yeah. Like, but. Uh, yeah, no, I don't even know where the long Sunday came from. That's just an idea that's been in my head for a very long time. I is don't know original? where I got. No, I don't. I don't think so. But who knows? Who knows? But it is so right. It's like now we are three or four days since you said that, and right. three or four days further into you know the end of August and the beginning of the school year, and yeah. so many poets are on academic schedules right. or at least. Um, you know, once you have kids, I guess you're on an academic schedule. Oh, yeah, for, for the rest of your life, sort of. <laughs> right. um, yeah, it does feel that way to me. I'm, I'm pleased to have made an impression. Um, it is funny, though, with, with those idioms that, that like, seem so just obvious to you to, to realize that it's not a, a common language always. So there was something recently, I think Joey said something was from hunger, and I was like, what do you mean? 
what are you talking about? And he's like, it's a saying. And I'm like, is it? <laughs> what is it, you guys? Have you heard this? Well, can you use it in a sentence? <laughs> like, like, like doing something, maybe I didn't understand it. Like if you're doing something that you wouldn't necessarily choose to oh. do, okay. that that like is like a thing you're doing from hunger. No, I, I don't know that one. I figured that you were meaning that it was a poem from <laughs> hunger, the Lucy Brock Broido book. Your nose is too close to the page, Dia. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, don't go to the grocery store hungry, sort of, because then you'll yes, end up with yeah. things you don't need to buy, sort of. Sort of, of like, sort of, but like in a bigger... Yeah, yeah, yeah. In no. a, yeah, no. I understand. Yes, you're, you're following, you're following. No, I mean, I loved the phrase. It was just something that hadn't, yeah. you know, come up in my conversations before. Point being that this is actually like one of my favorite things like to ponder is you know idioms and and the idea that you know we all have these sort of phrases in our um in our conversational life that that feel very obvious and transparent to us but are in some ways completely untranslatable like we just talked about all that i'm still not sure i understand what that means No, I feel like this, and it happens like two in microcosms. Like I lived with two people for three years and Uh I felt like we had a whole slew of things that we would say. And then I would say them to other people and they'd be like, what is that? What is that? I'm like, right. You haven't been to my house because then you'd get it, you know? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like the microcultures like develop their own languages too. Okay. Now I'm just obsessed with from hunger because does that just mean bad? Does it just We're, mean bad? It just, it just means bad. <laughs> but okay. like really bad. Really bad. What about right. um, salad days? That's another one that I don't salad understand. Salad days. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that has gotten lost in, over the course of time, right? Because that used to mean, or like, it, I mean, it is meant to be something like, you were too poor to eat more than salad. Mm. But now I kind of feel expensive. like... Salad's expensive. Salad's friggin' expensive. <laughs> like, if you're eating good produce, like, that's a that's a status thing yeah. now, right? Um, so now it's, I don't know. what, Uncrustable days? Or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, I love Uncrustables. Can we get sponsored by... <laughs> yeah, I love them. Really? Yeah. I've never had one. Oh is my god, it, I gotta bring you is one. Is it like a frozen food thing? Yeah. Oh, I can picture it in my mind, but I don't You buy it in like, the frozen aisle. And do you like put it in a is it like a Pop Tart? No. Pop it thaws it thaws. You don't have to do anything to it other than take it out of the freezer for and like you, half an hour and then it's edible. See, this is what's confusing to me. If it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, essentially, right? Yes, but... Why would you wait a half an hour for that? Well, you... you <laughs> it's, like, meant for lunches. So you take it out of the freezer and you put it in your kid's uh, lunch. And then by lunchtime, it's thawed. Oh, I suppose, yes. But isn't it mushy? No. Huh. <laughs> you have strong feelings about this. I love that. I love talking to you, Hannah. I always feel a little bit like a foreign exchange student because like Ouch. of the generation. No, no. I'm saying, I'm saying that you are a citizen of the current culture uh, and I am from oh, no. another Uncrustables, land. Oh, no. The Uncrustables is a me thing. It's not a generational thing. I okay. think all my friends think I'm crazy too. All right. But all right. There's grape, there's strawberry, and then there's honey and peanut butter. Mm. So... I mean, pick I do, your poison. I do enjoy all of those sandwiches. I just don't know that I need somebody to make them for me. But it, it's, it's just better. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. You're Idiot. missing out. I'm going to bring you one. <laughs>
Hi, this is Burnside Soleil, reading Marcel. For a month, I've been living here, and often sit near the back bedroom wall, mice scuttling behind the tiny frame self-portrait of Rembrandt, laughing, skin crinkled like gold leaf. He's Zeuxis in that one, I think. Zeuxis and Parhasius. I remember the contest between them. How Zeuxis painted grapes so true. What do I mean here? That birds flew down to feed. Yet Parhasius depicted a curtain concealing his work. The verisimilitude fooling his competitor. Yet of the two paintings, I'd most want to see the grapes. Not a curtain, of course. These grapes clustered purple reminded me of walking with Marcel, one or two blocks away from here, the mulberries bloodied on the sidewalk. My son, he gathered in his small hands the fruit fermenting, this wild sweet melt, this jam scooped from the ground. It's true, there were no birds. About our backyard beach, my father once told me a lightning bolt singed the heartwood and pith like a wick. He blanketed the little fires charring the sapwood. There were no birds on the snag for weeks, he said, which must be untrue. I prefer imagining the tree swallow in the cavity, and I know it was summer then, but what if I say winter? What if I want the swallow's blue glare? I cannot tell you how to love. So Stephen and I were talking about um, some of the poems from the July-August issue, which we were talking about last time as well, but there's, you know, there's so much more than what we even got to in our previous episode. What were you, tell me again, Stephen, what you were saying? You know, so I think that that this idea came out of lots of different places. Um, it, it came out of reading Twitter and, you know, some of the folks who now are getting uh, rejections, not from us, but from, you know, various journals that have had their work for sometimes years. Um, I think that's part, all I It is I a have. part of the culture. We, we exist on, we, meaning literary journals, exist in a different time-space continuum, I say, but go on. So there's this <laughs> model that's been used of the, like, why we chose it, which is oh, not, okay. like, so interesting to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, because lots of different reasons, right? right? And then the other strand, before I actually tell you what I'm thinking, is that... Um, <laughs> we I, love a preamble, this Stephen. Is a, this, this is really... Is a preamble <laughs> with tangents. I'm teaching a class at, uh, at the university where I teach in the fall called Poetry and Poetics. And mm-hmm. I've been thinking about what I want them to do for a final. Okay. And I've been thinking about this game. I think of it as a game, which is let's talk about what makes poem poem oh good yeah in something you like Mm -hmm. and in something you don't like Mm -hmm. and the goal is that we can't tell which one is which Mm -hmm. right so my idea was really to um to to get us to talk about a poem in the journal Mm -hmm. as a way to kind of talk about what poetry does or can do right and you know i think we do think that these poems are exciting. Mm-hmm. We chose them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also for us to get to have a little bit of a deeper conversation about them as well. Right. I mean, the sort of the what makes it work 
Yeah. Essentially. Right. right. Like the idea of like, you can build a clock, but you have to set it ticking or something. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that there's a thing that like we read so many thousands of poems that, that there, there is always that, um, um, how should one say it? The, the thing that excites you. Yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, the, the poem that I was thinking might be a good jumping off point for us is this poem, Sadness in the Shape of a Phone. Oh, yeah. By Laura Van Pruyen, mm-hmm. um, whose name I admittedly don't know that I'm pronouncing exactly correctly. That's okay. I feel like it's one of the vulnerabilities of podcasting that we're all like accepting of is that like we're not going to get every pronunciation exactly correct the first time we say it. And and. Like, we live and learn, right? So, I hope. I hope that's how people feel. It probably sounds exactly right in the echo. So maybe maybe I'll just start by reading the yes, poem. Yes, please do. Read this one for us. And I'll talk about this as this is one of my notes about the poem. But um, the, the poem is in these what might be called monostitches, mm-hmm. uh, stanzas. Mm-hmm. One line stanzas separated by stars. Asterisks, yeah, or mm-hmm. asterisks, yeah. Mm-hmm. They look like stars. They do look like they stars. They do look like stars. Well, that's our that's our uh, typeface in the manuscript. So I'll, they I'll were pause asterisks. slightly in between each line. Mm-hmm. Sadness in the shape of a phone. You are sagging in my pocket. I cannot let you go. Look, a beautiful person is dancing. Wasn't my face meant to be private? wasn't yours think boots buy boots from a pop-up ad webcam penguins waddle through a museum alexa what is this i'm feeling the government tracks my sadness i hold the grecian shore in my palm i watch a master class on hostage negotiation If you put buds in your ears, sadness will listen. My fingers shrink and enlarge other people's successes. Sadness once hung on a wall, had a mouthpiece, a receiver. Hey, period, do you want me to pick up anything, question mark? Planes leave white trails across the sky, Sadness fades an outline on my ass. Suggested for you, the world's oldest story and global myths. The more you scroll, the more you scroll. What can you do with my thumbprint? I don't want to find out. Tracing my steps makes them add up. I know by heart many numbers that reach no one. The glowing thing I hold is neither an orange nor fire. Excellent. Thank you for reading that. So these, uh, the the first thing that always sticks out to me is form. Yeah. Which is a funny thing to talk about on a podcast, but we talked about these mono stitches uh, separated by asterisks Mm -hmm. and it creates a dynamism in the poem. It's a very strong choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 
what do we usually go on? We usually go on the line mm-hmm. as a unit of measure in a poem. Mm-hmm. And here that's not given to us or the lines are uniform in a certain right. way. They are all um, stopped with punctuation, mm-hmm. what we might call end stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are separate. They're like over separate from each other, right. these lines. Um, and they move a lot between each line the first one you are sagging in my pocket i cannot let you go a description of the phone we might not know that immediately upon reading but but um but we do know it and then i think it's the second stanza um that that really got me look a beautiful person is Mm. dancing just the complete disconnect from the first moment right the way that the entire form um, the monostitch and the separation, uh, it is all emphasizing isolation, right? Every single thing builds in its sense of distance and in its sense of, um, I mean, one could, I mean, loneliness, certainly, but, but there's something uh, that builds in its um in its aloneness yeah it's also a distance from in in a time sense too Mm. from like um maybe how we are supposed to be or interact with the world and how this is far from that um i think about like the world's oldest story and global myths and then into like how the word scroll in the next line becomes exactly perfect you know um well nowadays it's it's very like modern for you know everyone knows what scrolling is but also (laughs) it's um harkens back to like a scroll like you know the Torah or something like that the way that that word has changed entirely from antiquity to now yes right the way that a scroll used to, the, the very word scroll used to carry the weight of something that was actually very precious and important and right weighty like, yes. literally like right exactly yeah. whereas now it is like right it, it has been utterly transformed into this kind of repetitive mindless yeah thing like it's almost a complete 180 from the original intention like, of the, to like right? deep deep meaning to mm-hmm. basically meaningless right yeah. Um, the sixth and seventh uh, sections um, of the poem, which are um, Alexa, what is this I'm feeling, followed by the government tracks my sadness, I thought were such interesting sections of the poem because they made the poem so personal. Like, this is, yes, it's a criticism of how we live our lives, blah, 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 but it's really uh, personal about the about the emotional um impact of of these things on our lives and you know how how they really are destroying (laughs) our minds in ways that we can't get away from um that we probably want to get away from and yet right after that again that this poem just ends up being so dynamic um right after that uh we can hold the grecian shore in our palms which is so great. Um, we can watch a master class on hostage negotiation. What could be more interesting? <laughs> well, but also, I mean, the idea of um, that who, like, who's the hostage in this situation? Right? Sure. Oh, that, yeah. there, that there is a, an element there of, of being sort of chained to 
this relationship with this device. Um, yeah. Well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think yeah. in, in terms of our, our overarching um, uh, topic of like, why does this work? Like, I think that this is an excellent example of like um, the, the form fulfilling the mission of the, of the poem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of it. And I also love how I think we've, we've touched on this a couple of times, but I'll just say it explicitly. I love how modern things are like the, the language of our contemporary moment is brought into this poem in mm -hmm. ways that harken back to older things, but, but are also like completely absurd. Um, I, I talk to text. I don't text. I, I talk to text and my texts are <laughs> insane, right? Like, <laughs> Uh, um, I think people in my life at this point just know them. I, and I actually kind of like it. Getting back to right. idioms, yeah. the idioms in my home growing up were always intentionally wrongly used. <laughs> so you were always getting, you know, a code. Right. And people would come in and just go, what was that? That's so funny. And my wife still, to this point, will say, I heard the entire conversation between you and your dad. I have no idea what was said. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I love the talk to text. I love the scrolling. I love mm. the way that the uh, contemporary language is brought into the poem, is shown for what it is, for as hollow as it is, but also becomes so important in the poem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and also just the, something that stands out to me about this one is that the word choice is so exact and so intentional. And I really appreciate that. Like it really lands so well when, you know, she refers to sadness once hung on a wall, had a mouthpiece, a receiver. Right. Right. I mean, those of course being terms that are specific to telephones, but right. the way that a receiver lands in this context is very specific. And I, I think ultimately a, a strong poetic choice. You know, it's interesting if we were talking to somebody who was not um, a fan of poetry, which my guess is we don't have many folks who have made it this deep into the <laughs> podcast who are not big fans of poetry. Right. But um, it's just like my family. <laughs> yeah. like, like, so They're like, you can talk to my Hannah mom right to? now. Hi, hi, mom. Yeah. Well, I think that somebody would say, what am I supposed to get from this? Yeah. How am I supposed to walk away? And it's a feeling, mm -hmm. which which is which is lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you know it's a lovely experience. It's probably why I like poetry because I like walking away with a feeling rather than an argument. Right. Uh, that's a statement of aesthetic value from me, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which you know not everybody holds, or nor do I expect everybody to hold. But that's one of mine that I love walking away from a poem like I do here and go, oh, I. I get something about the sadness that this speaker lives with. Right. I mean, it's a feeling and it's also, I think that almost all poems are meditations on relationships. And in this case, it's the relationship with a thing. And at this point in the culture, almost everyone has a relationship with their phone, right? That we have these conflicted feelings about being so tethered to something that you know, some love it or hate it, it is very present from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep, right? Um, and so in that sense, yeah, I think that's a part of what makes this poem tick too, is that it is in the spirit of inquiry about this 
peculiar relationship. It's so well right? said, the spirit of yeah. inquiry. I love that. I mean, I, I think that's something that always gets my attention. Yeah. Right? Um, I was also thinking about, um, uh, we have uh, uh, sharing in this episode, we have a reading from the wonderful poet Indrani Sengupta. Um, and of course, we have to provide the sound of our pages turning. I think that that's really a hallmark of what we do here is we, we have paper, paper sounds. <laughs> um, on page 26, um, Indrani Sengupta's poem, I Throw a Dinner Party, um, which is a prose poem. Gasp. I won't, <laughs> gasp, gasp. I mean, right, which is a whole other thing to, to sort of contemplate, like, what is the prose poem? Um, but I'm not going to read the entire thing right now because we have this beautiful reading from her um, that you will have already heard. Um, but in looking at this poem, something that stood out to me is that there is such sonic enjoyment, right? I mean, when we're talking about word choice and we're talking about the music of language, um, that she has men millers and their moth familiars, many handed avatars of the aunts I never call. Like the, the, the L's and the M's and the, 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 the really precise kind of um, uh, managing of those sounds is, oh, I just love. <laughs> and I have to say, as soon as you said that, um, I was just thinking of the rhythm mm -hmm. in this poem. And uh, mm -hmm. some, some bigwig famous poet <laughs> on, on the phone, on Twitter, on X, Oy. language Oy, shifts, don't even. said something about how... Gasp. <laughs> their belief is that when folks talk about poems in free verse or lines in free verse that they love they're mm -hmm. almost always quoting lines that accidentally fall into iambics yes and this poem has such a clear rhythm to it yeah. you think about a prose poem one of the things i think about with prose poems is like okay so what's carrying it yeah and it's so much the sonics and the rhythm here that move us down the page yeah yeah, I mean, when I, I feel like when somebody says, like, why is a prose poem a poem? That is that is always the first place that I go to in my mind is that, like, it can be like the line can be sentence based rather than enjambment and line break based, but still be ultimately concerned with the music and the rhythm. Right. Um, and that's, yeah, that's this raises a really important question. Sure. Which well, is look, not you what can't makes see the light in Stephen's eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been in some conversations recently where people have posited the idea that there is no difference between prose and poems, mm -hmm. other than people love to say that <laughs> they do. It's annoying. <laughs> you know what? Take the first swing. No, no, uh, no. carry on. No, Steve, it's a, it, it, the, I. So the question is to me. I think that. I, I think that the the absolute possibility exists that that some things blur the lines. Sure. Um, we the animals, the Justin Torres um, uh, novella, always mm. um, struck me as incredibly poetic in mm -hmm. its language. 
Uh, there's Lydia some... Davis, I think, also blurs the line. Although she can, I don't, I don't think she considers herself a poet. I mean, I think she considers herself a, you know, a writer of fiction or memoir or other things. But all, almost all of her um, yeah. work to me seems so finely attuned mm-hmm. to the word choice and to the rhythm sure. that I'm like that. That is poetic language to me. But I go think on. of Sabrina Oramark too, mm-hmm. who is a poet, but yeah. has lately been writing more prosy yeah. things but they're so imbued with like the spirit yes. of poetry so anyway. but I, I do have I do have a um I I I wonder if what we're talking about when we talk about difference is um the various forms um frailties rather than their strengths like if prose at its strongest is poetry and poetry at its strongest is prose that like when we talk because I think one of the things that a poem does and I'm I'm not as studied in fiction as I am Mm -hmm. and I I read a lot of fiction I love fiction um a poem follows the music rather than the truth Mm. that's that's something I have in my mind I don't think everyone agrees with that but but that's something I have in my mind yeah and um, actually, when I read a novel that I think is really wonderful, it doesn't really give me the answer. It follows that narrative, and that might be their music, is the narrative rather than the, you know, it raises I, more questions than answers. You definitely have something there. I mean, I honestly, I, I feel the same way about about... I think the phrase you said was following the music, not the truth, uh, in the sense that... Um, I think poetry at its best is not ever going to force feed you, right? And so it's uh, capital T truth right. sure. is not our is not our game. Like it's not our it's not or our aim. You know, we are um, saying things today. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if truth emerges, I would say it's almost, you know, by accident, right? It's not necessarily where you where you decided to go. Um, although I think the, you know, as as exemplified by, uh, you know, what, uh, sadness in the shape of a phone is that I think poetry too, whether you are um, a formalist or not, always on some level is concerned with the page, right? That um, you can read your poems aloud and absolutely should read should, your poems yeah. aloud um, to, yeah, to, to discern how they're living in the world. Um, but I think a poem has to make choices about what it looks like and what it, and where it lands on the page and have some kind of intention about that. Um, that's that's just me. I mean, I think even if it's a prose poem, even if it's a prose poem, you're making that choice um, because there is something to the block of text that serves the poem. Thank you for listening. Uh, please join us next time on the American Poetry Review podcast and follow us on social. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. 